0: Father, we just come to you, Lord, this morning, believing you are sovereign, you are in control of everything that is happening. Scoffers will arise, scorners will arise, all these people will arise and ask us, your Lord, where is he? Where is he? When is he coming? But we know it's because of your mercy and your mercy alone that you are extending your hand towards us. For you do not want anyone to perish. Oh, Father, we just thank you for your mercy. Even this day, you have given us one more day in the land of the living. That we may hear your word, we may believe, and we may put right those things that we need to put right. And do the things which we need to do. That the kingdom of God may continue advancing. This morning, we surrender ourselves. Let there be just one speaker in your house, your spirit. And all of us students with a willing heart and a willing mind, willing to hear and willing to obey that the word of God might have power in our lives. Speak, Father, speak. We need to hear from you. When there is confusion in the world, we need clarity in your house. For your word says, there is no shadow of turning with thee. There's no shadow of turning with thee. There is clarity. When we hear you, when we obey you, and when we walk with you, give us that clarity even now to hear, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Over the weeks we've been looking at from... Jesus talking about the two builders, the wise and the foolish builder. And also Jesus talking from Psalm 127 and verse 1. Unless the Lord builds, unless the Lord builds, yes Richie, unless the Lord builds, you labor in vain. Anything you do, now that you are in the Lord, you've been growing in the Lord, anything you do, be very sure you do it in his strength. Because unless he is doing it, you are laboring in vain. Ultimately, it won't stand the test. God's test. The usual illustration we give you, every construction, every life, every house, every construction, every boat. Built during Noah's time did not stand God's test except one which was built according to God's specifications. Every life, every home, every construction was destroyed in the first test. In the second test, God said it will not be tested by water. It will be tested by fire. That's why everyone who is building, genuinely building that can be tested by fire has to go into the water's first so that you are not part of the first creation. That you are part of the new creation. Everyone who is building that can withstand the fire has died to self in Christ. Represented by the waters of baptism. We saw also that God is a builder and he is building a temple. And we also saw individually and corporately we are called the temple of the living God. On Wednesdays, and I want you to those who are not able to come on Wednesdays. For genuine reasons or non-genuine reasons, at least log in and listen. Because they are all connected. We are looking at order. That we know God is a God of order. Everything in creation has absolute order except the devil and humans. The devil will never come to order because he doesn't have the free will anymore to choose to repent. But to us, God has given the free will. And the wisdom and the knowledge, if we study the word of God, to choose that his order may be restored in our lives. Order. Okay? Because we are told by Jesus himself, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When you seek the kingdom of God, and when you actually genuinely seek and find his kingdom, one of the fundamental things you will realize is there is more and more order in your life. Not disorder. Order in your lives. Because his kingdom is a kingdom of incredible order. Because kingdom in the Bible and elsewhere. We heard Peter talking about a king and a kingdom. It's always defined in terms of authority, power and submission. That's how a kingdom is defined. And we also see in the Bible the scepter of his kingdom is righteousness. The scepter of his kingdom is Righteousness. Get these fundamentals. So if you go to foundations, the fundamental scripture is very clear. We can have no other foundation other than Christ Jesus. He is the cornerstone. We saw also that the church, the living body of Christ, is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And last Sunday we saw about true sons and false sons, true sons and, false son. and last Wednesday we saw three areas where God tries to bring his order to be implemented for stability. One is the family, the individual, the family. The second is the church and the third is the government. Okay, when we talk about government, we are not talking about the world governments because they will not receive God's order. We are talking about the government of God's kingdom. That's why the prophecy in Isaiah says the government is upon his shoulders and the increase of his government, there will be no end. When these three, that is the family, the church and the government, when these lose their stability, what we are looking at is not at order, but at disorder. Like confusion. Like I said, Jesus told about two houses and two builders, wise and foolish. And the difference between these two was the foundations. Okay? The difference between these two houses, the difference between two lives struck by the same tragedy would be just the foundation on which they built their lives. Foundation will decide whether you will stand when adversity comes, when the storms come, when the trials come. Whether you will quit or you will emerge stronger will depend upon your foundations. That's why foundations are so important and Jesus said about foundations. So today we will go back to foundations. But we'll read from Psalm 11. It's David's psalm. In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul. Flee as a bird to your mountain. This is David. The context behind this psalm. Is when Absalom has taken over Jerusalem. And David is fleeing the city. And his advisers are telling him. Go up to the mountains. In Mount Gilead to escape. And he's telling. In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul. Flee as a bird to your mountain. For Look. The wicked bend their bow. They make ready the arrow on the string that they may shoot secretly at the upright in the heart. We saw last and it's strange we saw about Judah being God's bow bent and Ephraim being his arrows. God also is an archer. He's also a warrior. He also has his bow. He has also his polished arrows kept there in his cuba. The devil too has his bow and his arrows. Please remember, everything God as a devil imitates. And they are aimed secretly to hit the upright at their heart. Because it's with the heart you believe. If your faith can be shaken, if your faith can be shaken, your life can be shaken. Secretly at the upright in the heart. So what does verse 3 say? If the foundations are destroyed... What can the righteous do? God doesn't ask, what can the wicked do? He says, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed. Remember, why does the enemy aim his wicked arrows at the heart to destroy the foundations, not the superstructure? He is aiming at your foundations of your faith. The fundamentals of faith. So if you don't get your fundamentals right and stand on the fundament and build on the fundamentals, scripture says you will be shaken. Your house will fall apart. Your life will fall apart. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous. He doesn't test the wicked. Please understand this. God never tests the wicked. He tests the righteous. But the wicked and the ones who love violence. His soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals. Fire and brimstone. And a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. And his countenance beholds the upright. This is his. Psalm. David's. David's message to us thousands of years later. But let's look at verse 3. The question is, if the foundations are destroyed, verse 3, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? We know that in every area of the worldly life, if your basics, your foundations, your fundamentals are weak, you won't be able to progress further. We hear it all the time in the news, including last week. When economic chaos happens, FM, the, the finance minister and the RBI governor will come and says, don't worry, our economic fundamentals are strong. While in one day, the investors lost 4 crore lakhs. 4 lakh crores of money in one day when the stock market crashed. But they say our fundamentals are strong. No need to panic. In studies we tell the same thing to students. Okay, When you finish your class 10 and you get good marks because you mugged. (laughs) Suddenly you want to go for engineering. But the one who taught you will say you see you shouldn't be because your fundamentals are weak. Don't go for maths. Because we know you. You're not. You got 85 for maths. But your fundamentals are weak. In sports, too. Fundamentals matter. Every area you will see, fundamentals matter. So, David is asking this question, which is connected with the kingdom of God and our victory. If the foundations are destroyed, the basics, the fundamentals, what can the righteous do? What can the righteous do? We don't sometimes realize how important the fundamentals are. Even now when I am talking to you, you understand because you have the fundamentals, that is A, B, C, D, to understand language. If there is somebody who does not understand English, Or just have very basic English. They will struggle because in the fundamentals you are weak. But you may be good in another language. You see, there was this legendary NBA player called Abdul Karim. When he was asked once by a journalist, if there was one coach that influenced him most, he named one. And when he was asked why... He said that coach was an ardent student and teacher of the fundamentals of basketball. And he tells the story. He said on the first day when he coached us, he taught the whole team how to wear your sock has to never get a blister. And how to tie the laces that they never come untied. Now how many of you who play basketball has ever known that is fundamental if you want to progress in your career and never lose so that when you put your socks, you may play for 40 minutes non-stop, you don't get a blister. And you can wear it in such a way. And you can tie your laces that in the crooks of the match, your tie, laces don't come off. Fundamentals. Basics. Go back to the foundations, the fundamentals. Because if the fundamentals are strong, then you can go on and build over it carefully so that your structure will stand strong. Now if your foundations are strong and you built a wrong building over it, it doesn't matter. You can break it down and build again. Rivizak, in one of his messages, I don't remember which message, he talks about this, this postmodern museum. You go to that building, it has no meaning. Because it's postmodern. You have hallways and doorways that go nowhere. Stairways that go nowhere. Doors that open to nothing. And it's supposed to be a postmodern museum. Because that's the way postmodernism means there is no meaning in life. Then he asked a rhetorical question. He said, All these floors, these rooms, these windows, these doors have no meaning and makes no sense. But did you build this building with the same kind of foundation? No. To build anything over, you needed a structure, a foundation which had to have meaning. Otherwise the building will collapse. Building will collapse. The foundations are destroyed. What will the righteous do? So it's important we know the fundamentals of our faith. The basics of our faith. And absolutely, totally convinced with all our heart about the fundamentals, the basics, the foundations of our faith. So it doesn't matter if the world or even churches calls you and me fundamentalists. Because the actual meaning is, we are very strong on the fundamentals. It doesn't mean narrow-minded. It means somebody who is absolutely crystal clear about the basics of their faith. So how strong are our foundations? Let me ask you this question. Why did you come here today? Whatever reason is good as long as you are in the house of God, okay? So don't feel bad. To see Jesus, to be with Jesus... You see, whenever people came to Jesus, Jesus always had this question. It's very strange, you know. Jesus will ask this question, what do you want? What do you want? There were crowds that sought Jesus. They had a need. They were desperate. And Jesus had incredible compassion on them and he met their need. There were Pharisees and scribes and students of scripture who also followed him. And they were stunned, amazed by his teaching. Then there were these crowds of disciples who were with him. But soon we will know that all left one by one, one by one. And only the core group of disciples are left. And he asked them, do you also want to go away? And then Peter answers, where do we go from you? You alone have the words of life. Let me tell you again whether you are the first time here or you've been here regularly for the past nine eight years. Only those who come to Christ for life will sustain their walk. It's not enough that you come for knowledge. Even if it is the knowledge that is good. The knowledge of God. Because if you are coming here for knowledge that is good, you are still approaching the wrong tree in the garden of life, which is the knowledge of good and evil, not the other tree, which is the tree of life, which is Jesus. Knowledge is good, but do not come into the house of God or open the word of God for knowledge. Open it for life. Because he said, I have not come to give you knowledge. He said, I have come to give you life. Life in abundance. So today, when as we sit to hear the word of God in your heart still, Lord, I want life. Who else can I go? For you alone have the words of life. So there are many, many fundamental, foundational truths in the Bible. Long list is there. Huge, huge list of fundamental, foundational teachings. Long list. But you know, all these foundational, fundamental, basic teachings, everything about Christ, about God, about the blood, about the atonement, everything about healing, deliverance, everything, they all hang on one fundamental truth. One fundamental truth. You know what it is? It is that I believe that this is the infallible, inerrant word of God. That's one fundamental truth that overrides everything else. If you and I do not believe from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, this is the word of God which will define my life, I will live and die by this, then all the other truths will make no difference. One fundamental truth that overrides everything else. Everything else will be encapsulated in that. That you are, you really believe it and you are willing to live and or die on this. So we see the story in many churches. Things happen. Wonderful things happen, healing, deliverance, fasting, prayer, so many good things. Yet, if we are weak in the word, then like the people who left Jesus after eating, drinking in his presence, receiving the miracles and wonderful healings, we too will one day fall away because our foundations are weak. As we study scripture, we see before Christ, no one defeated the devil. But Christ did. While he was living on earth in the flesh, he defeated the devil. In death, also he defeated. While living in the flesh, how did he defeat the devil? He defeated the devil by simply believing and speaking what he believed about the word written. He said, it is written. For our sake, to see that you can defeat the devil without using anything that is not available to us, he did not say, I heard my father say, he said, it is written. It's written. Deuteronomy 8.3, it's written. He said, it is written. The written word of God was the word of his testimony. He believed, he stood on it, and he spoke it. And the devil was defeated. In death on the cross, he defeated the devil forever for us. Therefore, Revelation 12 and verse 11 will say, and they overcame him, that's the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. How did they defeat? By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. When he died on the cross, scripture says, the devil was defeated. He made a public spectacle by his blood. When our word that we speak agrees fully with the word of God, we believe in our heart, God's word, and we speak it according to the situation as the Holy Spirit shows us, scripture says, that becomes the word of our testimony, and the devil is defeated. When our word agrees with God's word and we believe and stand on it and speak it, we lift this above all our feelings and all our circumstances. We are actually proclaiming Christ's victory and the devil's defeat and it does happen through the word of God which is called the sword of the spirit. So the first fundamental question is do you believe that this is absolutely the infallible word of God from the beginning to the end. And all of you will say, yes, I believe. Then what are you doing with it? The next question. Do you really, really believe? So if the foundations are destroyed, what will the righteous do? The church always faced opposition from outside. 2,000 years by means of persecution. But history shows from that day till today, persecution never works. The more the church is persecuted, the more it grows. But the church was always vulnerable to attack from within. And the devil's target always is the word of God, the foundation of our faith. Why is the world, the church today, the non-persecuted church today, the weakest? Because what has been attacked within the churches, from within the churches, is the word of God. That's why every apostle in the Bible warns us about this. Jude actually in chapter 1 and verse 3 will tell us, beloved While I was with, I was, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to content, means to fight earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saint. This faith is not the faith we think about. This is talking about the fundamentals of our faith, the doctrines of faith. He says you need to fight every generation needs to be taught and retaught and retaught and retaught and, re-taught and you need to fight for the foundations of your faith because the devil will come from inside and destroy the foundations. And once the foundations are destroyed, what will the righteous do? Paul will warn to us through his letter to Timothy. You need to, every generation was warned that there will be terrible times during the last days. In 2nd Timothy, he says in the last days, know this, that in the last days, terrible times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power from such people, turn away. And he is not talking about the world, he is talking about the church. Why will the church in the last day become like that? Because the foundations were destroyed. The fundamentals of faith were compromised. And when the foundations are destroyed, what is built over, it will look like this. A form of godliness with no power. But to Timothy he says, he says, but you Timothy in 314, he will say, you Timothy, but you Timothy, must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. He says, you, Timothy, don't go that way. The young generation is saying, you have heard enough of the word. You should know your fundamentals by now. You should be absolutely rooted in your foundations. He says, you must continue in the things which you have learned. Don't change. Don't change the fundamentals. Don't change the basics. Don't. 2 plus 2 is always 4. It never becomes 5. Doesn't matter who teaches, it never becomes 5. It is always 4. The fundamentals of Christianity will never change. You can be saved only by grace. And it is the gospel of repentance that brings people into the kingdom of God, not any other gospel. You bring any other gospel, people will not get saved. Jesus never told us to preach anything else. First, he says, go preach repentance to the nations. And if you believe and be baptized, he said, you will be saved. Don't change the fundamentals. Because if you change fundamentals, it will be at your own peril. The superstructure you build above it will crash when the storms of life come. Continue, Timothy, he says, continue. From the beginning, God has commanded us, stay Rooted in what I have spoken. Don't change. Don't change. Put your life on this. Because this is God's word. In Deuteronomy 6 verses 6 to 9. He says. These words which I command you today. Shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way. When you lie down. When you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. He says, you know what? You know, he's saying, prophetically, he's telling in the book of Deuteronomy, if this is part of you, this is your foundation on which you build your home, your children, when they grow up the... When they grow up, and even if they are living in the time of the Antichrist, because they have taken the word of God and they were acted according to the word of God and think according to the word of God, you don't have to worry about them taking the mark of the beast on their hand or their forehead because they already have taken the word of God in their hand and their forehead. That's what will happen. Otherwise, he says, if the foundations are weak, when the pressure comes, they will take the mark because they don't have the strength to resist. You do not have the strength to resist. In the next verse, in the next one, chapter 11, 18 to 19. Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart, in your soul, and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlands between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. That's the, one of the reasons, the fundamentals of this. That's why God tells young people sitting over here, unmarried young people sitting over here, that's why God says, do not be yoked to an unbeliever. Because you will never be able to do this with your children. If you marry an unbeliever. It's not possible. Immediately your foundation is already gone. Foundation is gone. You want to talk to your children about God? Grant Billings spouse will want to talk about the world to the children. And the children are confused between the word and the world. Finally they fall in between. The so foundations, fundamentals are there. God says be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful. Peter will say in 2 Peter chapter 1, 12 to 16. He says for this reason. Peter is saying is old by now. I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know and are established in the present truth. He says I know. You know. And you are established. But I will still keep repeating it. I will still keep repeating it. Yes, I think it is right. As long as I am in this tent. To stir you up by reminding you. He says, as long as I am in this tent. In other ways he's saying, as long as I am the pastor of this church. I will keep on teaching you the same things over and over again. Until it becomes part of you. In chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he says, Beloved, I now write to you this second ep- epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. In both epistles he is saying, I am stirring up in your minds what I have taught you always. That you may be mindful of the words which are spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and the Savior. He is telling them, go back. Continue to meditate on the fundamentals of Christianity. Don't waver from them. Keep. And I have, he says, I have no issues of reminding you over and over again. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 17, he will say, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness being led away from the error of the wicked. He says, be careful. Be absolutely sure about your fundamentals. So that you are not taken away by the error of the wicked who will get in and bring error to destroy the foundations. But instead grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know how the apostle Paul will put, so we heard. Jude we heard. Peter and how Paul will say in Revelation, Philippians 3 and 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Since Since I am not bored writing you the same thing in each letter. It is not tedious for me. But for you it is very safe. Very safe. It's good, he says, I keep repeating the same things over and over again. You think, oh, poor Paul, he's gone senile, he's repeating himself. He says, no, I am not. I'm not having a senior moment at all, at all. He says, it is not tedious for me, but it is very safe for you. Then to sum it up, after Jude, the final letter in the Bible, John the Apostle comes and God tells us through John in Revelation 1, he says, blessed is he who reads And those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. He says, who read, who hear, who keep. Read, hear and keep. So why are Christians so badly shaken by events that happen either in their personal lives or in the society, larger society? The reason is because the fundamentals are weak. If you look at the early church and if you look at the saints in the Old Testament, if we were to go through a fraction of what they went through, will we stand? When we look back into the testimony behind us for centuries, millions upon millions have marched singing to their death for their faith. Today with all that is available, Christians are shaken And falls apart by the smallest crisis. And they have a need. Immediately a prayer chain activated. To come through. All it takes is for the husband to shout at the wife. Then immediately you need fasting prayer. And the whole prayer chain. In the old days the saints were marching to their death. Without any prayer chain. Why? Because your fundamentals are absolutely weak. Fundamentals are so weak. And God says, no, you cannot. Foundations have to be absolutely, absolutely strong. That's why the cry of David. If the foundations are destroyed, what will the righteous do? Doesn't make, doesn't mean the ones who believe are wicked. They are righteous. But what will the righteous do if the foundations are weak? Our major issue, let me tell you, we have to come to the major issue is this. Do you believe in this? And I'm not talking with your head. Everybody believes in it. Everybody will say, yes, I believe. Believing in the head only makes you an intellectual. doesn't make you a believer. God says, do you believe with your heart that this is true? Absolutely true. Every word of it. Your believing of this is always determined by what you are willing to lose not by what you are willing to gain. Jesus believed in us who is willing to lose his life for us. Question is, Jesus says, do you believe in me enough to lose your life for me? Your belief is never determined by how much you have gained. That is economics in the marketplace. In the kingdom of God, believing doesn't matter how much you gain. Your believing is always determined by how much are you willing to lose for what you believe. That is the standard Jesus set for discipleship. That's what he told the crowds who wanted to follow him. In Luke 14, we know we go over and over it again, but you have to go It great multitudes went with him. Great multitudes. Boy, if you have one miracle over here next Sunday, there will be no space here. And if he feed like he fed them, 5,000 with five loaves of bread, more crowds will come. Multitudes followed him. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross come after me cannot be my disciple. He says, you know what? You really following me should be willing to lose. And that will determine whether you really believe me or not. That is why the only ones left were 12 of which one sold him in the last hour. But these 11 said, where can we go? You alone have the words of life. They were not looking at gain. They were looking at loss. And when he said, we are going to Jerusalem to die, Thomas actually said, let us also go with him and die. Let's also go with him and die. Question is, are we willing to die for what we believe? Immediately after this, You will see in verses 28 to 30 he goes to construction. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it lest after he has laid the foundation is not able to finish all who see it begin to mock him saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. What he is saying? He immediately turned to construction. The question, simple question to ask is this, and you look back in the record of anybody in human history who has survived and come through as an overcomer. Let me make this point very clear. You cannot be passionate about God without being passionate about Christ. Because you know God, the Father, through Christ. And you cannot be, Mahinder, you cannot be passionate about Christ without being passionate about the Word of God. Because Christ is the Word of God. Let me tell you it again. You cannot be passionate about God without being passionate about Christ. And you cannot go and tell, I'm passionate about Christ without being passionate about this. Because this is the revelation of the Father and Son given to us. Are we passionate about this? We hold it in our hands. We have multiple versions every generation has to take a stand and every generation has to contend for the faith because the devil is after the foundations of your faith talking about we have to get back to our foundation see is this the faith of our forefathers is this for which these people died and willing to die with a song is there something really wrong with me that this doesn't move me anymore We really need to ask ourselves, where am I standing? Things are not getting better, it's getting worse. Every day is getting worse. And it's getting worse and worse and tighter and tighter. But every nation is slowly moving into a cashless society even the Indian government is starting to say that by 2020 they hope to make this country cashless. What happens when you are cashless? It's easier to receive the mark because you cannot buy and sell unless you have something in your hands. Are you ready to stand for your faith? And you're worrying about a job and a career where God is saying you have no clue what's coming. Are you ready? And he says, this is the only thing that can save you. Absolutely save you. And he says, I have lifted my word above all my name. Your word is forever established in the heavens. Heaven and earth will pass away, not even a dot from my word. But God says, will you take a stand for this word? One stand, it all begins with one stand. It doesn't mean that you start reading the Bible, you will understand it all. We are all still learning. But I know years and years and years and years ago when I started, it started with one step. And then one step was a fundamental step, which was the Good News Bible. But I bent my knee over this and said, I will believe this over everything else. And I didn't know anything except John chapter 3. Because if this is God, this has to be true. If this is not true, it's not worth it. But if this is true, you're willing to live and die for it. If the communist is willing to die for his ideology, and the ISIS fellow is willing to die for his ideology, what about you and me to whom has been given the living word of God? Where is our passion? Where is our passion? They're willing to die for a lie. And we are not willing to live for the truth. Die for the truth. They can set us free. Can any one of their masters or gurus be able to say, I came, I loved, and I died for you? No. Their masters come and demand the life of their disciples. Our Lord comes and says, My life, I give it to you. When will this passion come back? Revival begins by when we start falling in love with the word of God again. And say, if you have lifted your word above your name, I to lift it above everything else in my life, I will give it preeminence position in my life. That's where it begins. Everything else is just playing the fool with God. It is not going to work. And we have a history of 2,000 years and 3,000 years of Jewish history to see it does not work. That's why scripture says, to a young Jeremiah, In chapter 6 of Jeremiah. And verse 16. Scripture says. Thus says the Lord. Stand in the ways and see. When you are confused with so many channels. And so many internet sites. And so many teachers telling you so many things. He says. Stand in the ways and see. And ask for the old paths. Ask for the old paths. Where the good way is. And walk in it. What you will find. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said. We will not walk in it because new, new ways are coming. God said there is an ancient trodden path cut through for man through the word of God. Stand there and ask, where are the ancient paths? That's a question I ask myself. When I look around and says 1950 years of Christianity, there was one line flowing through the midst of darkness. In the last 50 years, everything has changed. Did we forget? You mean the church of 1950 years were fools? They did not know the truth. That Suddenly we have new revelation of what the word of God means. 50 years, everything has changed. God says, no, stand there and ask, where is the good way? Where is the old path? Where is the old path? In his first letter to Timothy, Paul will ex expressly warn us in 1st Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 he says in 4 and 1 sorry four one, the spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. How do you depart from the faith? You depart from the faith because your fundamentals were weak. If your fundamentals are weak you will depart from your faith. If you do not know your addition and subtraction Are you going to go any further in maths? Anybody can come and tell you, you know what, Johan, 4 plus 4 is 9. He will say, yeah, maybe. Why? Because his foundations are weak. Why do people run from one meeting to another totally confused? Because their foundations are weak. There is no era in church history which is more confused than our era with so many teachers and so many channels and so many meetings and so much confusion because fundamentals are weak. That you are not able to see the error from what is true. And God says, remember, the devil through the world will live in is after the foundations. Because if the foundations are destroyed, what will the righteous do? And remember, every foundation in which you and I love Every foundation on which human civilization, the Judeo-Christian civilization was built on for 6,000 years is under attack today. Foundations. When the Bible begins, the Bible begins with the words, in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. And the first foundation that is being attacked first, and it doesn't matter where you live whether you live in the capitalistic west or whether you live in the communist China or whether you live in religious India where the entire skyline is dotted with temples, mosques and churches the first thing every child learns in every school in the world is that we evolved and not we created because the foundational truth when you open this book is being denied in the lives of all the children who go to school because God says in the beginning God created and they say no we evolved and we are willing to pay packets and packets to get our children into those schools that deny the very first line in the word of God and we get so upset if they lose five marks in the science paper so we tell our children to be wise and tell them when a question like this ask be wise and answer, according to science, this is what it is. You don't have to fail in an exam. You don't have to lie either. Foundations are under attack. Foundations are under attack. First foundation that is attacked is Genesis one. 1. So God says, if the foundations are destroyed, what will the righteous do? What will the righteous do? And anyone who opposes Genesis 1-1's interpretation in the schools who opposes evolution is mocked, scorned, and shunned in the academic circles. And many had to leave their jobs because they believed in creationism and not scientific evolution. God says a fool has said in his heart there is no God. And fools do get PhD in the world. Foundations are being destroyed. What can the righteous do? Second foundation that is being destroyed is again found in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And we are taught that at conception we are just a blob of tissue. That the baby conceived in the mother's womb is just a mass of tissue, has no meaning, no rights, so it's dispensable if it is inconvenient for you. So we have divided ourselves, the Christians have divided themselves into, I am a Christian, but I am pro-choice. Where does your choice come from? When God has said, let us make that little one conceived in the mother's womb in our image. Whose image is the baby conceived in? Our image, God says. My image. My image, He says. My own image, He will say in verse 27. My own image. And all over in the Christian West, especially in the U.S., in high schools, governments have put in vending machines so that for last night's mistake, you can press and pay and take an after morning pill. In schools, in Christian nations, what pagans wouldn't do, Christian nations do because foundations are being attacked. And God says, the foundations are destroyed. Foundations are destroyed. What will the righteous do? And the state stands by and facilitates this. And we worry about dogs being eaten in China and a lion being shot in, in, in Africa. And Facebook is all about it. Nobody cares about the millions upon millions of babies formed, created in the image of God being disposed because they are not convenient for your career. foundations are destroyed. God never said about any of these creatures I have made the fish in my image I made that lion in my image he didn't say I made the cobra in my image he said you and you alone fearfully and wonderfully made because you are made in the image of your creator foundations are destroyed what will the righteous do? God is asking through David The next foundation that is destroyed under constant attack in the Christian nations is the next verse, verse 27. So God created man in his own, verse 27, the next one, yeah, in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. How did he create them? Male and female. Yet in today most of the western countries. Including Britain. You have 42 options. Up to 42 options. To mention what your gender is. When God created there were only two options. You were either male or you were female. Today up to 42. And you can even put it. If you don't want the gender. Options. And you can change your gender according to your mood. That's the bathroom law passed in New York State and all over the US as the federal government wants to impose that if you go to the bathroom, you feel like a woman, you can go to the woman's bathroom. It doesn't matter whether you started as a man. That's considered a fundamental right now. And they say if you do not imp- see this is done, we will vet- withdraw federal funds from the states. These are done in Christian nations, so-called Christian nations. Male and female, he says, he created them. Male and female. You cannot choose your gender. It was chosen for you. It was chosen by for you by God. That you are a girl is not an accident. It was chosen for you. That you are a boy is not an accident. It was chosen for you. By God, a divine father who had planned your end from the beginning. It was not an accident. It was chosen. Foundations are attacked. What will the righteous do? The next foundation destroyed, being attacked is Genesis 2 verses 22 to 23. Then the rib which the Lord had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Yet today, in almost every Christian nation, two men can marry, two women can marry. And if you speak in opposition to that, you are termed by God a home of homophobe and you can lose your job, your business and you can be even imprisoned by the state. When God said marriage is between one man and one woman. Foundations. Foundations are destroyed. What will the righteous do? What will the righteous do? question of God is asking, what are you building? What are you building? That's what it says. If we build a world where foundations are destroyed, all we are waiting for is the collapse of the structure when the storm comes. All we are waiting is for the collapse of the structure. So God says through Jeremiah, take a stand. Young ones, take a stand. And take a stand early. Stand there and says, where are the ancient paths? My parents' time, this didn't happen. My grandparents' time, this didn't happen. My great-grandfather's time, it didn't happen. As far as I can look back into time, Society has always only accepted marriage as between a man and a wife. Who changed the rules? Who changed the rules? Take a stand. Like Daniel did. When very young, very early in life, push away the cup of Babylon push away. That's the first step Daniel took Whether before he could become anything God had ordained him to be. The first step he took is he pushed away the cup of Babylon and said I will not defile myself with these ideas. I will not. And it doesn't matter whether I am a slave. It doesn't matter my body belongs to another king. I, my, I don't have the freedom to move but my soul belongs to another one. And I will make decisions based on who, to whom my soul belongs. That's why Jesus said, don't worry about the one who can kill your body. Don't worry about him. After that, he can't do anything. He said, worry about him who can destroy your body and your soul and throw you into hellfire. Worry about him. So when you take a stand, take a stand for the one who has power over your soul. Because he's called the shepherd of our souls. If the righteous do not take a stand, no one will have the power to rescue us when our world falls apart. No government, doesn't matter how powerful it may be. No industry, doesn't matter how innovative it may be. No ideology, doesn't matter how captivating it may be. Unless God intervenes and the righteous stands in the gap, there is no hope. If you take God out of your world, the word of God out of your world, from its preeminent position in your life, nothing I tell you young ones in the long run will hold any meaning. Of course the devil will give you pleasure because scriptures there is pleasure in sin. But he will not tell you the truth. At the end of it is death. Like he never told Eve the truth. The truth was that if you eat, you will die. He said, no, if you eat, you will be like God and you surely won't die. He tells the same lie over and over and over and over and over again to every generation by saying, you displace this with something else, you will not die. You will be like God, having autonomy and power over your own destiny. God says, no, you will die. You will die. Don't replace this with anything else. Hebrews 1.3 says, Hebrews 1.3 says, Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, upholding all things by the word of His power. Do You know, everything is still being held together by the word of His power. And if you displace this word from your life, all you are waiting for is a storm to come and to fall apart. Because everything is held together by the word of His power. That's the same meaning in Colossians 1.17. Scripture says, And he before all things, and in him all things consist. All things is held together by the power of God, by the power of his word, and the power of his Christ. Everything. And therefore there were millions, a cloud of witnesses who went before us, who were willing to stake their lives on this. And therefore God calls another generation and says, Do you believe? Are you willing to bank your life on my word? Don't try to create and live in a world outside this world. Remember, it won't have the power to hold you together. For this is all about God. In the beginning there was only God. And at the end, there will only be God and the godly. No one else. That's why the Ten Commandments were given. Only to man. He didn't call the tiger and says, Here, oh tiger, take my commandments for you. He said, No, you who have been created in my image, in my own image, the Ten Commandments. The one who was created in the image of God. No animal, no bird, no fish received any command. And the essence of those Ten Commandments is the revelation of God, that God is holy, that everything about God, touched by God, is sacred. Everything becomes sacred when you associate it with God. He says, I am holy. So don't reduce me into an image.
1: My name is
0: holy. So don't take it in vain. Time is sacred. Because time is connected with me. I created it. Therefore, six days I have given you to work. And one day it is spent in my presence. Time becomes sacred when God comes into the picture. Parenting becomes sacred. Because God says, They are the first ones you see and who will teach you about me. So honor them. Oh, to, 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 his disciples Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, Pharisees, Lord Pharisees, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God, he says. What about us? What about us about who were born and brought up in India, the culture of tradition of 5,000, 6,000 years? What is our tradition? What does it say in the Tayitriya Upanishad? What does it say? Your mother is a form of God. Your father, Pitro Deva. Doesn't it say Guru Deva, Atityo Deva? If our righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness shown in our own sacred scriptures, where will we possess the kingdom of God? Where he says, it is all holy because it is associated with me. Everything in our culture originated in so many ways because of sages trying to find this God. Yet to us, the revelation of the living God has been given. of the real living God has been given to us. Honor he says. Thou shalt not murder he says because life is sacred. Because it comes from God. Marriage is sacred he says because it's my idea not man's or any government's to change its terms. Don't steal, he said, because property is sacred. Because I am the one who gives you property or wealth to acquire property. Don't steal. Your word is sacred, God says, because you have been made in the image of the living word. So he says, don't lie, don't slander, don't gossip. Don't bear false witness. And he says, your soul is sacred. Therefore, don't covet anything. Anything that's not yours. Let your soul be satisfied in me and what I give you. That's the essence of the Ten Commandments. Everything becomes sacred because the one who made us in his image is sacred and holy. It's not about us. It's about him. You take God out, all will fall apart. Because that's what the psalmist says. If the foundations are destroyed, then what will the righteous do? The righteous need to take a stand. Even if you are all alone in your group, in your class, in your company, it doesn't matter if you are standing with God and for God and what His word stands for. You are still enough. You are still enough. Because your foundations are true. You don't need a crowd to stand and be true. You just need to be alone with God. You need to be sure God is with you. Don't presume God is with you. If God's word is not with you, do not presume God is with you. Because He said, I have exalted my word above all my name. But if God is with you, your foundations are strong. Absolutely strong. Even if you are the only one. Look at the testimonies that have gone before us. 6,000 years of God's testimony. Because He said Heaven and earth will pass away. But not a dot. We know it by heart. But the question is, do we believe? In Psalm 106, verses 34 to 39, we will find, why did Israel fail to possess the promised land? The same reason. The church often fails to possess the life of Christ. They did not destroy the peoples concerning whom the Lord had commanded them. But they mingled with the Gentiles and learned their works. They served their idols which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. And they shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with their blood. Thus they were defiled by their own works. And they played the harlot by their own deeds. Don't fool ourselves by saying our children are in the promised land. No, they are not. They are in Babylon. And if they are in Babylon, we as parents played the part that they are in Babylon because we they raised them for the world. We taught them about the world. We told them success in the world is more important than anything. And when they grew up, the world took them. And their blood is on our hands. And today God says, cry, cry, cry. That's what Israel did. They mingle with the Gentiles. And we want to mingle with the world. And know everything of the world. We want to be part of the world. Be one with the world. And God says that's what they also wanted. And the Canaanites took their children. The powers of darkness took over their children. A generation was lost. And the church has lost a generation. That's why you look over here. 90% of the children sitting over here are from Hindu background and not from Christian background. Because those children are lost. These ones have found the light. Found the light. That's why the righteous need to take a stand. If you want to really see salvation beyond this prayer requests. It will demand everything you have. Everything you have. You will have to stake your whole life, our whole reputation on this. The word of God, like Noah did. Alone in his generation for 120 years, one man staked his life, his reputation, his future on the word of God. He had just heard for 120 years. But then one day, Genesis 7, verse 1, he heard God say, he said, Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. When the hour of the test came, when the hour of judgment came, when the hour of the greatest storm mankind was going to see, God said, come, you and your household, who stayed faithfully, hanging on to my word for 120 years, in the midst of this Gentile opposition, who mocked you, who scorned you, who were telling what the heck is happening in your life. Why are you holding on to this and building this stupid thing? He said, you get in. You get in. You can get in with your household. You are safe, because I have found you righteous. Why was Noah found righteous? Because he built his life On the word of God. He was not a hearer. He was a doer. God said, come. For I have seen you righteous. You and your whole household can come in. But in another generation before that, he didn't say that. He didn't say that to Enoch. You and your whole household can come with me to heaven. He said, Enoch, you alone come. Because in your generation, I find only you, not your wife, not your children. Only you. you come with me. You just come with me. Pray, Lord, build a foundation of righteousness in me and through me. That my household may be saved. My generation may find a place of refuge. Because over and over, we need to come back to the foundations of our faith. Because if our fundamentals are strong we can build above it. That was the difference between the first two kings of Israel. The fundamentals were strong in David's life. Absolutely weak in Saul's life. Saul had no word of God in his life. David had the word of God in his life. Do you know what are the fundamentals, the basic, the foundations of our faith? Hebrews 6 verse 1 says, 6 and verse 1, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary fundamental principles of Christ, what is? Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of what? Repentance of? That's the first foundation. Saul had no foundation. Therefore, even if the greatest prophet of his time came and rebuked him, there was no repentance in him. Therefore, he could not be restored. How can he be restored if you don't repent? It doesn't matter how anointed the man who is coming and rebuking you. You can't repent because you have no foundation. Well, David says in Psalm 119 and verse 11, how does a young man... Not sin against you. Your word I have hidden in my heart. That I do not sin against you. Did he sin? Of course it it sinned. But because he had hidden God's word in his heart. He said when I sinned. I was miserable. I was miserable. I was restless. I wet my pillows with my tears. My bones were wasting away. Because he had hidden God's word in his heart. The other guy didn't. The other guy didn't. You know why there is no conviction in our lives? Because we do not have the word of God in our heart. That's why there is no conviction. If you have hidden the word of God in your heart, yes, you will fall, but you won't lie there. And you won't rise away, dusting off, saying, oh, it's okay. You will mourn. You will grieve. You will. You will. You will. Sensitive man. Sensitive in the spirit. so sensitive as a young man. Because you're hidden, God's word, God's word. When the man who was pursuing him to kill him, and he got him in his hands in the cave, he took his sword and cut a tip from his robe, one little patch from his robe. He was so sensitive, he was so sensitive, he was so heartbroken that he had cut a little from the king's robe. Today, people disrobe their fathers and their mothers and their leaders. They are not even bothered. Because you have not hidden his word in your heart. One little bit and His heart broken. What did I do? I've uncovered the king. Does the word do this to us? Have we hidden his word in our heart? Have we hidden? Do you know what the word does? The living word does? He sees how you go to sleep. He sees but your eyes are dry. Your eyes are wet. He sees. And he says, I see you. I see you. I see when you pray. I see you. He says, I know you. I see you. That's why he could not restore Saul. But he could restore David. Why? Because his fundamentals were very strong. Repentance from what? Dead works. Jesus says if the foundations are destroyed what will the righteous do isn't that what Jesus says about the word of god in matthew 13 in the parable about the sower in 1321 what does he say yet he has no root in himself but endures only for a while for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word immediately he stumbles. That's all it takes. You are so thrilled today. You will feel God spoke to me. By the time you go back home, Father shouts at you, gone. Finished. Why did you go to church? Husband says, I don't want you in church from next week. Finished. Because of the word. Trial comes. Like wind going from the balloon. Faith goes. Why? You would endure. And God will allow it to happen to show you that your word is not strong in you. You haven't received it with all your heart. You, do, do, do we have the history of the 3,000 people who got baptized on the day of Pentecost? When we reach heaven, we will see that many of them, their families got separated when they got baptized. We will see the truth then. Because you get baptized into the name of Jesus, you are out of the synagogue. You are out of the Jewish community even now. Nothing has changed in 2000 years. But they believed and they're worth, it's worth it. I love him. He's worth it. And I'm willing to die. Oh, church. That's what he says in verse 22 again. And now he who received the seed among the thorns is he see, who hears the word and the cares of this world and deceitful of riches choke the word. The word is gone. Cares of the world. Some of you mothers must be already wondering what I need to cook for lunch. Cares of the world. I know my son will trouble me, trouble me, trouble me, trouble me. Already the word is gone. Cares of the world. And we wonder how did Susanna Wesley manage eighteen children and raise two incredible men of God who shook the world. Eighteen children. Because she knew the word. And she knew the God behind the word. And the children knew. Their mother knew the word. And she did not have like us all these rooms and all these facilities. Heard the story so many times. But it needed to be repeated every time so that women understand. Sisters understand. One room little shack with 18 children. But when Susanna Wesley in the kitchen or in that main room put her apron over her face. The children knew. Mother was talking to God and they tiptoed around her. That was her prayer closet. They knew. She raised a Charles Wesley and a John Wesley. She endured. Will we endure? That's what verse 23 also says. But he who received the seed on the good ground is who hears the word, understands it, who indeed bears fruit, produces some hundredfold, sixty, some thirty. Hears, understands, bears fruit, practices it, and it starts bearing fruit. Maybe this year thirty, but next year shouldn't be thirty, should be at least forty-five. Fifty, sixty, let it go up. As you grow older, let it grow up. Listen, last week, seventy-five, Zach Poonen sitting now and preaching pure, pure gem from God's word after 75 years. Pure, pure treasure coming out. Last night heard Zach, Rabbi Zacharias at 70. Pure, pure gem at 70 standing and preaching. Both old. And I look at them and say, Lord, I'm only 50. I still got 20 years, 25 years to catch up. I will catch up one day. These are, these are people Who encourage you? Age doesn't wither you. Your heart for God never grows cold. You will bear fruit in all season. You look at these legends in our time. They are stood there consistently, forty years, forty-five years, fifty years, bearing fruit and touching the lives of millions. Why? Because the word endured. While we worry about finances, we worry about clothes worry about our children's education and our career. We worry about everything except the lack of passion for God's word. We don't worry about that. Why don't we worry about that? Oh. You see, Psalm 11 was written by David when he fled Jerusalem. When Absalom rose against him. Absalom's rebellion was successful for a season. Why? Because a young man, absolutely carnal in the ways and the way, I mean, today, if Absalom had been living, he would be over every magazine front page. Long hair, absolutely no spot. Everybody looked at this fellow and says, what a good looking dude. He would have been over every cover. Absalom. Joined hands by an imposter who served and walked with David for years with hatred in his heart called Ahitophel. Two generations came together. And that's why David is saying, if the foundations are destroyed. This man who should strengthen the foundation of the next generation has got it and is destroying the foundation for another generation. What will the righteous do? Thank God David's foundation was stronger and stronger. So he will come through. And the foundation will stand in his life. That's what we need to understand. What are we building? What are we building? In Isaiah 65 verse 3 scripture says, a people who provoke me to anger continually to my face who sacrifice in gardens and burn incense on altars of what? bricks. Oh, we burn incense. Plenty of incense we burn. Don't you see the incense and the smoke rising? God said, I'm not looking at the incense. I'm looking at your altar. I'm not looking at the incense first. I'm looking at your altar. Because what did I tell you when I gave you the law on Mount Sinai? On Mount Sinai in Exodus 20, I told you, yes sir, if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of human stones, for, you sh- for if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. He says, when you make an altar, let it be uncut stones. Don't use your intelligence, your ideas, how God should be worshipped. Go and learn from the ancient paths. Instead you bring all your new fanciful ideas made of bricks, and you want to worship in me in your ways. You want to worship me in your ways? He says, don't you understand from scripture, from Genesis 11, what it means? In Genesis 11, scripture says, Then they said to one another, who? These people are making Babel? Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone. They replace stone with brick. And what did they say? Come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower whose top is in heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. Is that what is happening? The church has replaced the ancient paths of God with the wisdom of man and says, let us build a city for ourselves. We want to worship. Of course we want. We are very zealous for God. But in our ways, you better accept our worship. It's never aimed at man aimed at God. It's aimed at man. How are we built? Did we build on the ancient ways? Not wavering from the word and staying there on the word and says this is on which I will build my life. You can either build if you are happily married in a believing family set up, build like Noah. If you are not built like Enoch, but either way build. If you are only taken alone, so be it. Be taken alone. If you are taken with your family, praise God, be taken with your family. But build on the rock. Build on this. Build on this. Over and over. You know, one thing that excites me every, every, every day is when into my inbox, I get one mail from Open Doors. Open Doors is a ministry started by Brother Andrew, if you know Brother Andrew and his book, God Smuggler, he is dead, he's gone, and he, he really, really influenced me, his books I mean, therefore the person, when I, I just came to the Lord and I was growing in the Lord, Brother Andrew really impacted my life, his books about a man's faith of reaching the Word in those countries where the Bible was not allowed, and how God used that man mightily. It always excites me when I get that daily I get one from his ministry. And that's why I was excited last year when I went out of the country for the meeting. Because Open Doors had called me to minister to the youth. And I said, oh Lord, what it is. Let me tell you. I told you last time in the pastor's conference also about this American pastor taking this class for this group of underground pastors in Vietnam. He's taking this class. He's taking this seminar. All these pastors sitting over there. And when he speaks, they will ask him, Sir, one minute pastor, is that the word of God or is that you? And he will say, oh, that is scripture. And they take a book and write it down. Then again when he speaks, they will say, Sir, is that the word of God or you? And they will say, no, that's me. They have take another book and write. Then he realized, none of them had a Bible. And they were writing scripture. As he was speaking. How many versions do we have? And he said for lunch break, one old pastor came and said, let us test our Bible knowledge. And the old pastor came and said, okay, who can say Obadiah 2-4? And suddenly the American pastor put his head down thinking, it's a long time before I read Obadiah 2-4. And all the Vietnamese pastors who don't have their Bibles laughed and said, Obadiah has only one chapter. That's why I'm proud of the pastors who come for the pastor's conference though they may look poor and you may look down upon them when I said oh, but they are two, for they all said Obadaya oh, has only one chapter. We may look down upon them because they have little little churches in little gullies in Hyderabad. They know their word. At least they have read their word. Don't look down upon anybody because you do not know when you stand before God how the judgment will take place. word of God. Eritrea even today, if you are a genuine believer of Christ, you are arrested. If you are found with the word of God, you are arrested. And you are put in containers. You know, young people, what containers are? Containers are those steel boxes which goes in the goods train, in which huge stuff are transported from country to country. They are put in containers and locked up. You know what they do? If one man has a Bible, that Bible is divided into many portions and given to the believers inside. That is not what is exciting. What is exciting is when the time, there's no light inside, so they all sit there in the dark. When the time for the meal comes, when they open the container door, one set is rushing to the door for food. Another set is opening their Bibles to read for a few minutes and memorize it before the door is shut. How hungry are you and me for the word of God? heart breaks every day when I hear it. Lord, we've got all the time in the world, every word we have, every translation we have, we have brothers and sisters in the Lord, shut in containers, waiting for the door to open, to grab a line from your scripture and hide it in their heart. Do we value the word of God? How much do we value the word of God? That's why Peter said, you alone have the words of life. And Thomas said, Let's go die with him. I have never heard about Project Pearl in 1977. Project Pearl was in China. The underground church had no Bibles. And they're desperate for Bibles. And if you know how underground churches work, they will reach, smuggle the Bible into certain places, towns secretly. It is kept in a place, in a depository, and different places. Brothers from different parts of the country will be given a code word and who to meet and they will go there, meet, get the code word and get a number of Bibles and they will go back and distribute in the churches. That was how it was called Project Pearl because he doesn't throw pearl before swines. One set of brothers had gone to a little town where this depository was. They got a thousand Bibles and when they were about to leave, the police got them. They were arrested. All their Bibles was taken publicly. There is public toilet. And where the sewage comes and flows into it. They said, this is your Bible. And they threw it all into the sewage. Into the latrine sewage. And they were kept in lockup for two days. Two days later, after the weekend, they were released and said, you will never come back to the town. You know what those two men did? The men hid in the public toilet until it was midnight. When midnight came and everybody went to sleep, they got into the sewage, into the refuse of man, picked all the Bibles, went to the public tap, they washed Bible by Bible, they washed, they took it back home, perfumed it and sent it across. Even today the legend in Bible talks about the perfumed Bibles. Because people... Value this more than their life. This is a testimony of our times, our generations. God says, are you passionate about me that way? How passionate are we? How passionate are we? Are we just like the children of Israel? We are tired of this manna. If we are tired of this. What can God do with us? Because everything in the universe is held together by the power of His Word. Power of His Word. It is this. This is life. This is life. This is life. There's nothing in our hands more precious, more valuable than this. And God says, young generation like Jeremiah take your stand you may be facing hostile people you may face an hostile civilization wherever you go because the foundations has been destroyed the world is absolutely against this word he says will you stand there alone you may have to go through difficulties in life. But if you stand there alone and you hide this in your hand, then one in your heart, one day like Jeremiah, you will be able to say, I cannot stop witnessing because it's shut like fire in my bones. Like fire in my bones. It is shut. We love or we die by this. There's nothing on earth. Outside of this, where there is life, the very life of God. That's why Jesus said, My words are life and spirit to those who find it. Those who find it shall be stand. The Bible begins with the words, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The Gospel of John begins with the words, In the beginning was the word, The word was with God and the word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John tells us, in him was life. And that life was the light of man. In the word of God and the word of God alone is life. The word he speaks to us is life. And he told us through Moses centuries ago, I said before you life and death, blessing and curses, you choose, choose life. Every day we pick up the word of God and decide to meditate upon it. And we ask the spirit of God for understanding and revelation, receive it and we obey it. We choose life. And every day we put the word of God aside, we choose knowingly or unknowingly, we have chosen death. Mount Carmel, God spoke through Elijah and asked the people, if Yahweh is God, follow Yahweh. If Baal is God, follow Baal. How long will you stand there between two opinions? People said nothing. But the people wanted to see a spectacle. Before they made their choice. But before God could show them fire from heaven. He spoke through Elijah. And he told the people. Come near to me. The foundations of Israel are broken. It's lying down. Come near me. Let's first repair the altar. was only after the altar was repaired anything else took place that day on Mount Carmel. If you want the fire of God, if you want the rain of God, if you want the anointing of God, if you want the presence of God, it begins from repairing the foundations. In Isaiah 58 and verse 12, if I am right, scripture talks about The one who repairs the foundations. The repairer. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach. The restorer of the streets to dwell in. And God is asking this generation, do you want to be that? One who will restore, raise the foundation for many generations. Will you raise up the foundations of the old. That you may be called the repairer of the breach. The restorer. That the true work of Christ may be done through us. For David asked the question. For if the foundations are destroyed, what will the righteous do? And God tells, this is what the righteous need to do. Be the repairer of the breach. God says through Ezekiel, I look for one man. One man who stand in the breach. One man who would build the foundations again. Maybe in this, in this last days you need to build those foundations, the breach like Nehemiah. With the word of God in one hand and building the wall with the other. But we have to build. There is no option because the storm is coming. The mother of all storms is coming. And if our houses are not built on those foundations, true and everlasting foundation, the foundations that are of old, the past that are of ancient, where our forefathers, spiritual forefathers walked, if our house and our lives are not built on those foundations, when that storm comes, it will not stand. Dig deep, brothers, sisters. Dig deep. Dig deep. Don't run after a miracle. Let the miracle follow you. Run after the living word of God. Run after it. As the psalmist said, as the deer panders for the water, so my soul longs after you. Father, this morning we stand in your house, in your presence. Final Sunday of the sixth month. Eight years you gave us, this is the ninth year. I pray, Father, your children, many, many young ones and older ones, will check our foundations. We will check our foundations. when we will build only on foundations that are secure, And sure according to your word. We will turn away from all these newfangled paths. Where the saints haven't walked before. We'll go back to the ancient paths. The oft-trodden paths. Paths in which is trodden with sweat and the blood of your saints. Where men and women were not ashamed to be called your servants. Men and women in the past, when they picked this book, they knew they would die for it. And they bravely picked it up and staked their lives on it. Even today, our brothers, prisoners in boxes, in cells, in prisons, around the world, simply because they picked this book up. Help us, Lord. Help us. Forgive us, O Lord, if we do not have that passion for what you have so freely given us. Your written word and your Holy Spirit who brings revelation. Baptize us with fire once again. That all that dross of this flesh, of this world may be burnt away. That truly like David, King David, who had everything in his hand, we would be able to say yet, I was glad, very glad when they said to me let us go to the house of the Lord today. That I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of God. Oh Father restore that desire that hunger in us for your word. Your word. For your word you have exalted above all your name. And your word is forever established in the heavens. Restore, O oh Lord, that love. And if somebody doesn't have give them that fire, that love for your word, that they may build their foundations upon that rock, or oh Master. Keep us, Lord. Keep us close to you. Keep us close to your word. And give us the spirit of discernment. That we may be able to know what is true and what is false. Be with your children. As we go into another week, another month, may your presence go before us. And as we heard on Wednesday, order our steps in your word that we may stay away from iniquity. Order our steps, O Lord, in your word. Thank you, Father. Thank you. I bless your holy name. I bless your holy name. I bless your holy name. For in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.